Today, uh, as we talk about joy in our Advent season, we are going to talk about some very conspicuous characters in the Christmas story. That is the wise men. So traditionally, how many wise men were there? Three. Do I hear any, any numbers other than three? And there's lots of reasons why. One of the reasons why we think that there were three wise men is because of the three gifts, right? However, there were four wise men. And Gary Larson tells us that unbeknownst to most theologians, there was a fourth wise man who was turned away for bringing fruitcake. So, all right, so. Uh, why can't you read that? Because I got the slides in this morning and we have to adjust with the graphics. We realized the first week that I look really pale with the white shining on me. So when they do something to fix that, um, it got rid of the text so you couldn't see it. So I just read that for you. So my bad. But apparently, according to Gary Larson, four wise men, one of them brought fruitcake. And I don't get it because I think fruitcake is great. So I love fruitcake. Uh, the more dried fruit crammed in there, the better. Um, nonetheless, we are going to talk today about these wise men or these magi. And as we talk about joy, I was hoping I could encourage you uh, instead of, well, let me put it this way. A lot of times in our life, I think we pursue happiness. We pursue personal happiness. And, and I wanted to encourage us today to stop pursuing happiness because I think it's a dead-end road. It's a journey that really leads nowhere. And yet we hear in our culture over and over again, uh, do what's right for you, do what works for you, as long as you're happy. And we get that messaging over and over and over again, and I just feel like, even though it sounds practical and like good advice, it really doesn't work because you just find yourself constantly pursuing some whatever's next that'll make you happy. And instead, I'd like to encourage you to seek joy. And it is a road that is less traveled. But I think the story of the wise men um, give us some wonderful perspective on this idea of seeking joy. So the wise men are also known as the magi. Magi, Magi, and we read about these people in Matthew chapter 2. So I want to read through uh, the passage that talks about the Magi, and periodically some of the verses are going to come up that you can follow along with. But if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, it's in Matthew chapter 2. What we were telling our youth this week on, on uh, Wednesday night was there's two stories to Jesus. Matthews and Luke, and you can read about them in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. And so if you want something to do this week, uh, you can grab a Bible from the back. If reading a Bible is kind of unfamiliar to you or you find that it's a bit tedious and the language is confusing, we have some Bibles at the back that you can help yourself to on the way out. Uh, it's the version that I'm reading here. It's uh, fairly easy reading. And you can read Matthew's version of Jesus' uh, nativity and Luke's version um, in there. The table of contents will tell you where to find those. Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. Two different stories about Jesus and his birth. But in Matthew 2, we read this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, 
Some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Well, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, so where's this Messiah supposed to be born? Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, because this is what the prophet wrote. And they quote from Micah, the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with these wise men, and he'd learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he said to them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I too can go and worship him. And of course, you know the story that that's a ruse from Herod. That's not what he was planning. And then verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him, and they opened their treasure chests, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, three gifts, and fruitcake. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. One little verse in there introduces us to this concept of seeking joy. When they saw the star as it went ahead of them, they were filled with joy. These wise men, these magi, who are these people? So for a long time, scholars were trying to figure out who these people were following the star. And they thought, well, maybe they came from down south. Maybe they came from northern Africa. And eventually, I think with all the research that people do, um, and maybe some of you are already familiar with this because of all the work that was done over the last 100 years or whatever of biblical scholarship, but they figured that these people were from the east. They were Persians, modern-day Iran and Iraq. Most of our Bible translations call them wise men or call them magi. But what's curious is this word that's used to introduce them in the original language that we have our New Testament written in the language of Greek. The word that's used for them can also be translated astrologers and sorcerers. And I kind of smile when I read um, all the Bible translations that nobody seems to want to use the term astrologer or sorcerer. The horoscope readers came to worship Jesus. The astrologers, the, the warlocks, the Harry Potters came to worship Jesus. We're just uncomfortable referencing these people as potentially astrologers or sorcerers. And if you're wondering why am I saying this, it, it's because I think it's important for us to lean into the reality of the biblical story. One of the things we're great at doing is taking the reality of, of the biblical story and making it far more than what it actually was or is. And so in Acts chapter 13, just to help you get your head wrapped around this, the Apostle Paul, uh, who's a missionary, he's traveling, he ends up on the island of Cyprus. It's still Cyprus today. And there's a town there, and in that town he meets this Jewish sorcerer who's not written about in a very favorable way, but 
The word they use to describe him as a sorcerer is the same word that's used to describe these wise men and these magi. So they were wise. They were astronomers. They understood the law of the stars. Like they were moving into physics. But they were also astrologers and sorcerers, um, for lack of a better term. And what I find fascinating is that these people who were on the outside, these weren't Jewish people, these weren't part of the nation of Israel. Herod was, his, his priest that told him, you'll find the baby, the Messiah. We all know from the scriptures that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. But these wise men are not part of that group. They're on the outside. They're not the in crowd. And yet they end up in the very same place as the people with the scriptures. These astrologers and sorcerers. And I don't think that this story is condoning what they did. But I think what it communicates to us is that God receives anyone who comes searching for him and then discovers him in the person of Jesus. This is not about all roads, you know, the mountain, all roads lead to God. But I think this is a story that people from very different backgrounds, with very different religious understandings, with very different cultural uh, awareness, are on a journey looking for meaning and purpose. And it's amazing how people end up discovering Jesus from a variety of different backgrounds and life journeys. Because we read in the text that they followed the star until it, went to Beth, until it stopped over the place in Bethlehem. But if you're paying attention to the text, they, they arrive in uh, Jerusalem and they're like, so where's this Messiah? We've been following his star all the way from the east. And now we're here. Could you tell us where to find this person? Because he's one of yours. And of course, Herod looks to the, to the religious, uh, the scholars, and they say, oh yeah, it's Bethlehem. So they already knew they were going to Bethlehem. And then you've got this passage that says they followed the star until it stopped over the place where the child was. And it's hilarious to read all of the commentary on, you know, what kind of star was it and this and that. And it's like, don't, don't miss the forest for the trees. We don't really know exactly what that, what that really truly meant. And I think when we spend all of our time trying to, you know, figure out the, the minutia like that, we, we lose sense of the beauty of this story. That these people who are, who are looking for a Messiah, they're looking for something significant. They saw it in the stars. And now they're having a conversation with, with people who could point them more specifically to, to what it is that they're looking for and who that it is that they're looking for. They go and we read that when they found Jesus, they worshipped him. I don't know what that means of what they had to leave behind, what they had to adjust in their thinking, lifestyle changes perhaps. I don't know. But what I do know is that these people who are on the outside ended up on the inside when they met Jesus. And they worshipped him. And they gave him their gifts that were from themselves. 
And I think there's this beautiful story of God just receiving anyone who's willing to come to him in meeting Jesus. And there's joy involved in this. But one of the things that I realize when I read this story is how much the pursuit of joy costs them. You know, they, they journeyed from, let's just say they journeyed from modern-day Iran. You know, they left the capital city, and they traveled by camel. And I, and I kind of imagine them getting close to, close to Bethlehem, and they're on a road like this. I'm sure they didn't have headlights on the front of their camels, but I can imagine them journeying on a road like this and just thinking, like, maybe it's just over the hill. But there's a huge cost to them to travel that far by caravan. And, and actually, there's probably a whole lot more than three, because when you're traveling on a journey that far for that long uh, in those days, you were traveling in larger caravans. And so there might have been many of them. We don't know how many, but there was quite likely a whole lot more than three of them, because they would have needed protection, and they would have needed the funding and, and everything. So the cost to them is enormous simply to go and say there's something there's something here that we need to pursue and they get there they get just over that hill and they find what it is that they're looking for because we read that the star led them to where they needed to be and then it stopped and it showed them where they needed to be and they were filled with joy but I think the journey of discovering joy often involves cost. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where uh, instant gratification is the name of the game. Just for fun, how many of you have ordered through Amazon or something like that this year for Christmas? And you were a little bit miffed when it didn't come the next day? Oh, man, I got to wait two days for this to come all the way from the other side of the world. We're in this culture of instant gratification. We expect everything to come instantly. How many of you will start dieting in January and expect to be, uh, you know, the picture of health by January 7th? You know, I ate a salad every day for seven days in a row and I still look the same. And you're frustrated. And the spiritual journey is not unlike that. But the disciplines of perseverance and patience pay off. These people traveled for months to find what it was they were looking for. I love um, meeting people who collect things. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's a collector of anything. Stamps, uh, you know, uh, antique cars, artwork, um, People collect the most bizarre things and the most mundane things and the most beautiful things. And one thing that's true of every collector is when they're really passionate about what it is they're collecting, they will go to no lengths to get that one item that they are desperately wanting to have. I, uh, I am just amazed at the stories of how far people will go and how much they will pay for this one thing. And it's interesting because Jesus told a story once, actually just a few chapters later in Matthew, Matthew 13. He keeps telling people the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this. And at one point he says the kingdom of God is like a treasure 
that a, that a merchant or a collector was looking for. And when they found it, they sold everything they had to get that one thing. And they were just so excited to find this one thing. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like that treasure. It's like the end of that journey. It's like finding the star leading you to where it is you want to go and what it is you're looking for, and you end up discovering that Jesus is there. But there's a cost that comes with that journey. And it might be difficult, but when you come over the top of that hill, you find that joy is there waiting for you. And, and this verse says that uh, when they saw the star, in verse 10 it says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And I guess if you're really literal, you're like, wow, they got excited about a star that we don't even know what it was. But I don't think Matthew is telling us that it was the star that got them excited. They saw the star because it stopped over Bethlehem because that was the place that they were wanting to go to find the Messiah that they were looking for. The joy didn't rest in the star. It didn't even rest really in the journey. It rest, rested at the end of their journey in this little tiny human being that somehow they understood would give them much more than just happiness. There was something much deeper than just personal happiness. There was joy, and it rested in the person of Jesus. And I already alluded to the fact that the star leads into Bethlehem, but I think they knew they were going to Bethlehem because Herod had told them that. In Jerusalem, they said, so where are we going? And Herod needed to ask his people, but then everyone agreed, yeah, Bethlehem. And so these people reading the stars and these people of the scriptures both end up in Bethlehem, and they both discover Jesus. And it's Jesus is the, the one who is creating joy. And that sounds really cliche. If you're looking for joy in your life, it's found in Jesus. And I can't help but if that feels cliche to you. But I think there's a deep-seated uh, meaning in that statement. And I love what Christine did here with the kids. What about when you're sad? Because there's lots of people, particularly this time of year, that are hoping and wanting to be full of joy, and yet they're struggling with all kinds of things in life. I'm taking a sabbatical in the beginning of January, and part of it is because, because I've been worn out from the last three years of what we've been dealing with. And so as I reflected on this, I'm like, where's joy in that? And I, and I think joy is the sustaining awareness of God at work. And it's not always being happy. And it's not always feeling like you're going to smile. And um, I don't know. I, I have trouble, and it's just me, but I have trouble with somebody that's always happy. Because I just kind of feel like, uh, I, I just kind of want to say, like, I don't, you know, that Will Ferrell, I don't believe you. Um, the meme, if you're familiar with that meme. There are times in life when life isn't great, and yet somehow that meaning and purpose we find in Jesus is sustaining. And so I don't, I don't mean like it, I don't think we, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, but I think joy is so much deeper than happiness. And that even in the difficult times, 
when you'd rather pray the lament psalms than pray the happy psalms, uh, that relationship that you've discovered in Jesus carries you through that, and it, and it keeps you going. And I think it's the connection of joy to love and to hope that uh, is really profound and meaningful. Now, um, can we go back to verse 10, Gord? Um, yeah, so when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Thanks, that's great. What a great translation. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. We'll throw an exclamation mark on it. Uh, so sometimes it helps to go back and look at other translations or go back and look at um, the, uh, the original languages if you're fortunate enough to have studied them and, and uh, learned them. And I'm one of those geeks that um, enjoyed learning the original Greek language to read these things. And when you read this in the original language, the wording goes, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How you, could you get more redundant in, in a word phrase than to say that somebody rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And Matthew, I think, is very intentionally saying this is much more than just, yay, we found it. Uh, there's something so profound going on here. In fact, when I read that, I think this is where you start to move into the realm of the supernatural. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Something happens when you meet Jesus. In all of your search for, for meaning and purpose, you discover something in Jesus that goes far beyond happiness. And I think Matthew's making a point. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's something supernatural taking place here. It's the kind of joy that erupts when you experience the very presence of God in your life, in the very deep places of your being. And everything begins to change. And the journey is so worth it. Because the destination is taking you to places that you never expected. But here's the thing, when you discover joy in Jesus, what you also discover is the change in yourself. Instead of pursuing personal happiness, these people uh, actually spent an enormous amount of their own wealth and their own time and their resources and their energies for something outside of themselves. And the joy that comes in discovering Jesus is a joy that orients you away from yourself to other places and to other people. And then you begin to discover the long-lasting effect of, of a journey that constantly keeps you focused outward instead of inward, which creates entirely different life experiences. So at the beginning of Jesus' life, people discover him and they find joy. Something I found really interesting and curious at the beginning of Jesus' physical earthly life, these astrologers, sorcerers, wise men, magi, they discover Jesus and they are filled with joy, exceedingly abundant, rejoicing, full of joy. At the very beginning of Jesus' resurrected life, some more people find him. 
his followers. And even though they're looking at him and they're standing there in disbelief, Luke tells us in Luke 24, verse 41, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And there's this lifelong journey of discovering Jesus the first time and being filled with joy and then continually pursuing him to the places where he's taking you and the people that you weren't expecting to go to and continually there standing in disbelief and experiencing joy and wonder, even though you can hardly believe what it is that God's doing in your life. And I love in Matthew 2 and the end of Luke, this two very different scenarios, yet people searching for Jesus and they find him and they are filled with joy. There is something profound in the, what might seem to you like a very cliche answer of experiencing joy when you discover Jesus. But I can't help but think it's the very thing that we need over and over and over again, especially this time of year. And experience a journey with Jesus and discovering him that constantly takes you away from yourself to others. so that you can bring that same kind of joy to them as you introduce them, as you become the star leading people to the child, leading people to the resurrected one. So I just want to encourage you, don't pursue happiness. Seek joy instead. Let's pray. Thank you for my, um, my teachers when I was a little kid in church who taught me the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart today. And God, for each one here, uh, I pray that um, this journey of, of seeking you every day of our lives would continually bring us to new places that we weren't expecting to be and to new people that we weren't expecting to meet. And in each of these elements of the journey, we discover you right there, your very presence in the spirit of Christ and that you'd fill us with the joy that we long for, that supernatural joy that allows us to move into transcendence and to open our whole worldview to so much more than just the here and the now and the things and the stuff that we keep looking for to give us happiness. And that whatever star it is would lead us on our journey into a whole new realm into the kingdom of God to discover the spirit of Christ, the risen one, that will bring us into whole new levels in every fiber of our being that are electrified with the joy of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. We talked about joy, so make sure when you're walking out, there's a smile on your face. And uh, next week, we're going to look at peace.
this last um, part of the Advent story before we get to Christmas Eve. I do want to remind you that our Christmas Eve services are at 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And if any of you are still deciding whether or not you'd like to help with the Salvation Army Christmas kettles, we don't have anybody there today because the people who are organizing that are not there. But you could email the church office and say, hey, I'd like to help with the, with the kettles. And they will put you in touch with the people who can help you um, find a time to go over to Walmart and spend an hour or two there. Uh, these last two weeks leading up to Christmas are often great weeks for giving. There's also a lot of holes uh, in the schedule for people serving. So if you can help out and you'd like to, it's a joyful thing to do. So... Anyway, email the church office and then she'll hook you up with the, with the organizers. See you guys next week.